Welcome and thank you for joining us. At Worship Harvest, we believe that we are a movement of the gospel, discipleship and mission. And we are committed to catalyzing spiritual, social and economic renewal in our immediate communities and as a result, the world. Here is this week's teaching. Anyway, I'm so excited because of 17 years of being married. I was just reflecting this morning as we came with Mr. B7 that the, the interesting thing about God blessing you with a long life is that you actually grow. <laughs> some, people, some people are asking for a long life, but they want to remain 25 years, and life doesn't work like that. The grace and beauty of life is to be able to discern what season of life you're in and adjust your sales to fit the season of life you're in. A person who has been married two months and a person who has been married 17 years are not experiencing the same things. And so that, that's the wisdom for you. That's the word of wisdom for you. Adjust the sales, look around, look at the currents of the river, look at what's going on and see what adjustments you need to make so that you enjoy the ride. Because if you insist on... Uh, not changing, you shall be the, like the dinosaur. Dinosaurs are not here. They were huge, but they are not here because they failed to adjust. That's a word of wisdom for someone's marriage right now. You need to adjust the sales. The sales is not the spouse. <laughs> Some people's only interpretation of adjustment is to leave and go hook up with someone else, and then you split with that one and go hook up with someone else, and you soon discover you are the common denominator in this whole bruhaha. Uh, so, what you need to do is look to the goodness and grace of God that we preach. Amen. Because it saved my marriage. It gave yeah. me hope. It gave me yeah. life. And here I am, happy, blessed. <laughs> Colossians chapter 1, verses 19 to 23. We are continuing with our study of the book of Colossians. And today... We are talking about being reconciled in Christ. Reconciled in Christ. Reconciled in Christ. Ah, ah. Ooh. My marriage is actually a powerful story of reconciliation. So I'm so excited to talk about reconciliation. What is reconciliation? Let's start with the definition. So that there's no confusion as to what we are talking about because I know there are many viewers and listeners from different backgrounds and they need to know what we are talking about. What is reconciliation? Reconciliation, other words that could be used for reconciliation are reunion, pacification. Some of you need that. Huh. Think about that. Propitiation, very deep word. I will not go deep into it. Settlement. Settlement. Ukutereza. Ukutereza. Ukulongosa. Settlement. Harmonization. Synthesis. Yeah. Some of you have only had photosynthesis. So. Yes. Synthesis. To synthesize, to, to harmonize, to bring together, to settle, to longosate, to kutereza. Some definitions from the dictionary. One, reconciliation is the restoration of friendly 
relations. I don't know if you have ever had uh, some beef with someone or some people. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you don't even know how the beef began. Uh -uh. But before you know it, the whole dining table is full of beef. beef. And you're trying to work yourself through the beef so you can reach the pork. But beef, too much beef. Okay. I have been there. I've been in a, a place where you're like, where exactly am I getting along with this person? What's going on? And sometimes these things have roots. Some of them you can identify, some you can't. You're just thinking, we, it, we didn't start off like this. Sometimes, as a leader, you make decisions that get you to be moving in opposite directions with people that you actually love, and you can get to a place where you are not reconciled. But reconciliation is the restoration of friendly relations. Not, you know, there's those relations you have because you must have them. Yeah? Like when you have your siblings, you have them. <laughs> Friendly or not, that's your portion. Mm. But I'm, yeah, so, but I'm talking about friendly, friendly. Well, well, when you think about the person, your heart warms up. Your heart warms up upon the thought of the person. I'm so glad to tell you that I've, I've experienced this actually where I have moved from unreconciled with some people, some really good friends, to reconcile. And I'm thinking, well, what is that? <laughs> another definition, the action of making one view or belief compatible with another. The third one is the action of making financial accounts consistent. Reconciliation. Mr. Philip Kobsinge, if you're watching this, I'm sure you appreciate this part of the sermon. Let me tell you a story. It's a little longish, so I need to read it so I get the details. I'll not tell it from the heart, but it's from the heart through the mouth. So this is a story. I read. Due to a clerical error during World War II, Corey Ten Boom was released from Ravensbrook, Ravensbrook one week before all the women her age were killed. She began, this was Second World War when the Nazi regime was killing Jews and all the people who were hiding Jews. And because Corrie ten Boom and her sister had been hiding Jews in their apartment, they were arrested and taken to the concentration camps where they experienced horrendous, unimaginable, horrendous things. The kind of things that human beings should never be able to do to other human beings. So she was there. So this is her story. And says, she began traveling and telling the story of her family and what she and Betsy, Betsy was her sister, had learned in the concentration camp. Eventually, after the war was over, she was able to obtain a home for former inmates to come and heal from their experiences. And she continued to travel tirelessly over the world 
and to tell anyone who would listen the story of what she had learned. Open quotes. Now she's speaking. This is now Terry speaking. Corey speaking. She says, It was in a church in Munich that I saw him, a balding, heavy-set man in a gray overcoat, a brown felt hat clutched between his hands. People were filing out of the basement room where I had just spoken. It was 1947, and I had come from Holland to defeat Germany with the message that God forgives. And that's when I saw him walking his way forward against the others. One moment I saw the overcoat and the brown hat, the next a blue uniform and a visored cap with its skull and crossbones. It came back with a rush. The huge room with its harsh overhead lights, the pathetic pile of dresses and shoes in the center of the floor, the shame of walking naked past this man. I could see my sister's frail form ahead of me, ribs sharp beneath the parchment skin. Betsy, how thin you were. Betsy and I had been arrested for concealing Jews in our home during the Nazi occupation of Holland. This man had been a guard at Ravensbrück concentration camp where we were sent. You mentioned Ravensbrook in your talk, he was saying. I was a guard in there. No, he didn't remember me. I had to do it. I knew that. The message that God forgives has a prior condition that we forgive those who have injured us. This is Corey speaking. Now the man is speaking. So the man says, but since that time, he went on, I have become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did there, but I would like to hear it from your lips as well. Frolin, his hand came out. Will you forgive me? And I stood there, Corey writes, I, whose sins had every day been, had every day to be forgiven and could not. This is Corey saying, I stood there, I, whose sins had every day to be forgiven and could not, could not forgive him. Betsy had died in that place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply for the asking? Would not have been many seconds that he stood there, hand held out, but to me it seemed like hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I had ever had to do. For I had to do it. I knew that the message that God forgives has a prayer condition that we forgive those who, are for, who have injured us. If you do not forgive men their trespasses, Jesus says, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. And still, I stood there with the coldness clutching my heart. But forgiveness is not an emotion. I knew that too. Forgiveness is an act of the will. And the will can function 
regardless of the temperature of the heart. Jesus, help me. I prayed silently. I can lift my hand and I can do that much. You supply the feeling. And so, woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out to me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arm, sprang into her joined hands, and then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears into my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried with all my heart. For a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner. I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. Father, open the eyes of our understanding and our hearts that this word will not be one just spoken this afternoon, this morning, but that we will embrace this message of reconciliation through your son, Jesus Christ, that just as Terry experienced at a personal, practical level, we too will experience it at a personal practical level. In Jesus' name and everybody say, Amen. Amen. Colossians chapter 1 verses 19 to 20. Let's start there. For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell and by him to reconcile all things to himself. By him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. It pleased the Father. It brought pleasure to the Father that in Christ all the fullness should dwell. We are talking about reconciliation. We started on this theme last week when we talked about the, the supremacy of Jesus, the preeminence of Christ. The reason we continue to talk about Christ is because when we talk about reconciliation, sometimes we forget who the agency of the reconciliation is. So reconciliation is difficult for you if you don't understand the agency. But if you understand that the same person who said, let there be light, the same person who created the universe is the same one who can help you be reconciled with God, with others, then it becomes a no-brainer. Reconciliation is difficult if you think you're the one going to do it, but you can't do it. You need help, I need help. But we have a mediator. His name is Jesus. So it's important. Like if you're going to court, you can only be worried if you think your lawyer is average. But when you have a really good lawyer and you know you're innocent, you have a good case, you don't have to worry. You only worry if you think that the professional in charge is not good. But when the person is really good, no need to worry. So that's why, even though we are talking about reconciliation, we first look at the person, the agency of reconciliation. His name is Jesus. Shout, Jesus! Jesus. He said, for it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell. 
Colossians 2.9 says, For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. My God. In other words, while he walks the earth, when you looked at Jesus, you saw the fullness of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in a human being. That's incredible. He says it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell. He says in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. You remember when Jesus was being baptized, there was something that happened there that expresses the, the Godhead all being involved. In Matthew chapter 3, verse 16, and so it says, for when he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting, alighting upon him. And then suddenly, a voice came from heaven saying, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. There is a, a doctrine, a core doctrine of Christianity called the Trinity. For ages, Literally, first, we'll bring that later, that image. For ages, people have tried to explain the Trinity without much success. And here is why. You see, we are human beings trying to explain God. Think about, you know those little ants that eat sugar in your kitchen? Now, give them the assignment to explain the internet. Yeah, that's us trying to explain God, the Trinity. That's why all our attempts fall short. But even though they fall short, they are worth the attempt so that we try to get some sort of understanding about the Trinity. Because, you know, God in three persons, blessed Trinity. We just sang that this morning. Let me read you something that I found off this website called compellingtruth.org. Very good, because this is going to show, sort of give you a clue on what we are talking about by showing the weaknesses in our trying to deliver it. The Trinity is a Christian doctrine that teaches that God is triune, or one God in three distinct persons. Although the word Trinity does not appear in Scripture, the concept is clearly taught. Jesus commanded his followers to baptize his disciples in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. That's Matthew 28, 19. Paul closed his letter to the Corinthians saying, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. 2 Corinthians 13, 14. Even in the Old Testament, when God created mankind, he said, let us make man in our own image after our likeness. This pronounce of God being three distinct persons is consistently shown in scripture. Understood? And yet scripture also teaches that God is one. Deuteronomy 6 for clearly states, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Jesus reiterated that thought when he said, I and the Father are one. John 10, 30. Paul, in writing to Corinthians, also said, Now there are varieties of gifts but the same spirit. And there are varieties of service by the same Lord. 
and there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. So although God is three distinct persons of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, he is also only one unified Godhead. How complex is that? That's complex. You can't tell me that's simple. That's not simple. Now, take, I'm, I'm taking my time because probably no one has ever taught you this. Yeah, maybe all you have ever learned in the Bible is how to believe for food and healing. But now we need to go a little deeper. Many people have tried to explain this divine mystery using a variety of illustrations over the centuries. Unfortunately, every earthly example we have falls short in some way of fully encapsulating God's trying nature. In fact, when these inferior illustrations are taken at face value and applied to God, they can actually lead to heresy or incorrect understanding of God. However, since, the, since incomplete earthly examples are all we have, following a few illustrations of the Trinity that have been used through history. Okay. I'll leave out this one of St. Patrick's because... No, let me go with it. One popular story relates that St. Patrick used a clover to teach the Irish about the triune nature of God. The clover has three leaves that, that branch off from one stem. He explained that just as the clover is one plant with three leaves, so too God is one God with three persons. However, now this is where the problem is. However, one clover leaf on its own is not the full plant. Whereas scripture teaches that each of the persons of the Trinity is in himself fully God. So the clover plant, while helpful as an illustration, is not an exact replica of God's triune nature. Other popular illustrations of the Trinity along the same lines are an apple with its outer peel, inner flesh and centralized seeds, or an egg with its shell, the white and the yolk. These illustrations refer to one item made up of three parts, but each part on its own does not constitute that item. So these illustrations fall short too because they lend themselves to the misunderstanding called partialism. I'll drink to that. Don't switch off. Stay with me. Similarly, the sun has been used as an illustrative example of the Trinity because it gives off three different types of rays providing light. Light, heat, and radiation. All these rays come from the sun, and without any of, any of the three, the sun would cease to be the sun. However, light rays or radiation rays or heat rays by themselves do not constitute the sun. So this example falls short in the same way as the clover, egg, and apple. The same is true for the example of the universe being made up of space, time, and matter because each element on its own is not the universe. One illustration that avoids the partialism pitfall of the previous examples is the three states of matter of H2O, chemistry, a.k.a. water. As a solid, H2O is ice. In liquid form, it's water. 
and in its gaseous state, H2O becomes steam. Regardless of the form in which it is found, the chemical makeup remains the same. However, the three states of matter illustration, the three states of matter illustration falls short because ice, water, and steam cannot coexist in the same space and time. Father, Son, and Spirit do coexist and commune together. They also remain distinct, whereas ice becomes water and water becomes steam and vice versa. But the Father never becomes the Son, nor does the Son turn into the Spirit. That misunderstanding is called modalism. So the three states of matter example breaks down further. Another illustration of the Trinity has to do with light. Stay with me. I'm about to finish. The Father being the source, the Son being the way, and the Spirit being the power. That's light in your bedroom, you know, electricity. In this illustration, the Father decides or decrees that there should be light. Okay? The Son flips the switch, kapim, and the Spirit is the electricity, zoop, giving power to the light. The source of the idea was the Father. It was implemented by the Son through the power of the Holy Spirit. In this example, however, none of the actors are united as one, but rather remain three separate actors working toward the same goal. But the Bible teaches that God, the Godhead is one, so this illustration fails to encapsulate God's trial nature as well. What are we? D, dollar. Okay, stick there. Breathe in, breathe out. I'm about to come to the applicable parts, ladies and gentlemen. Perhaps the least flawed illustration, hallelujah, we have one that has less flaws, hallelujah. Perhaps the least flawed illustration we have of God's trying nature is a musical chord of three notes. Play it again. The three distinct notes work together to make one melodious sound, if you know what you're doing, <laughs> existing in the same time and space and unified in purpose while remaining three separate and distinct. Each note on its own fills the auditory space and creates a beautiful sound. And yet when combined with the other two notes, continues to make a unified melodious sound that fills the auditory space while remaining distinct from the other two. So this example comes close to showing how God's triune nature exists. It had to be music. So when they tell you music is spiritual, agree quickly. Give me that image. So in that image on your screen back home, you have God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit as one. This has been used for hundreds of years, thousands actually, trying to explain. Now, the Father is God, the Spirit is God, the Son is God. 
So God is Father, God is Son, God is Spirit. But the Father is not the Son. The Father is not the Spirit. The Spirit is not the Son. The Son is not the Father. I'm done with the Trinity. It pleased the Father that in Him, take me back to the scripture, verse 19, all the fullness should dwell. Just think about it. In Christ, Christ is incredible. All the fullness of the Trinity is invested in Him. Verse 20 is what pertains to us. And by Him to reconcile all things. To himself, by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. To reconcile all things, all things to himself. Now, since reconciliation involves bringing together parties that are alienated or that are at loggerheads, it will be first great to examine what caused the alienation. Because, look, you have to examine the nature of the alienation. If two people come to you and they say, Timo, we need help. This one, about what? You know, eh? Bagamba, baganda, tosala guaka, lenzinga, tona ulida guachi, guaka wala. Yeah? Because when every party comes, like in counseling, the, the wife will come. She will paint a glorious picture of her side and a bad picture of the husband. Then when the husband comes by himself, he paints a bad picture of the wife and a glorious picture of his side. Yeah. And so who, who should we believe? Come together. And that's when one of them starts dodging the meetings. Okay. I'm just saying. Just saying. This, this is pastor's life. Yeah. Everyone is willing to see you by themselves. When they're together, but let's continue. So when you are going to reconcile to parties and they come to your office, what's the first thing you, you, you're going to ask? What happened? Eh? When did you start cooking this beef? And how? So that's where you start. So we too, while we are talking about reconciling all things to himself, we have to find out what, what happened. I would like to propose to people at home who are, who are listening that there are four degrees of alienation that happened when Adam fell and Eve from this, they got separated from the life of God. Four degrees of alienation. One is alienation from God. The other is alienation from self. And the other is alienation from others. And another is alienation from nature. Genesis 3, 9 to 10 says... Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? <laughs> Adam, where are you? Uh huh. So he said, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid myself. This is the first degree of alienation. Alienated from God. The person who used to have sweet fellowship with the Lord, he would come in the evening, the cool of the evening, and they would talk. And can you imagine? Can you imagine being able to talk with God like friends and, and, and eating fennel together? And this time, 
he heard God's voice. And what did he do? Took off. He says, I was afraid. I was naked. I hid myself. Unfortunately, even today, there are people who still relate with God like that. They are still alienated. But this is the first degree of alienation. Separation from God. Say that they shall eat of it, you shall surely die. Death is not ceasing to exist. Death is separation. Genesis 3, 7 says, Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. This is alienation from self. Let me ask you a question. What do you feel when you look in the mirror? Not think, not see. I'm saying feel. Do you sometimes feel like some things need covering? Some things need fixing. You just do not completely like what you see when you look in the mirror. That has a source. You're not the only one. It didn't begin yesterday. Your mirror is not the problem. You are not the problem. It began thousands of years ago. Alienation from self. This is a big deal. Lots of people Lots of people don't really. They love themselves as a person, but they don't like what they see because they are looking with the eyes of Adam and Eve. Now, previously, before they ate the fruit, they didn't notice all of this. They were spiritually minded. They, they couldn't see that there was anything wrong with them. Life was good. But to be kindly minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Let me ask you, have you been experiencing alienation from self? Third degree of alienation, Genesis 3, 11 to 12. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you that you should not eat? Then the man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, 17 years ago, she gave me of the tree and I ate. <laughs> oh, Wednesday. Now, remember Adam's first reaction when they brought Eve? He was drooling. He was like, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. Now that things have gone south, the woman whom you brought. In other words, God, if you had never brought this other person, things could still be okay. How many of you are experiencing that in your family right now where the enemy has shown the problem, there is a challenge going on, and instead of coming together to figure out how to solve it, everyone is trying to figure out who is the problem. You are not the first you are not alone. It had a beginning. Fourth degree of alienation as I start to speed up. Verse 17. Then to Adam he said, because you have heeded the voice of your wife 
and have eaten from the tree which I commanded you, saying, you shall not eat of it. Cast is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Ay, 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 ay. That's alienation from the world, from the cosmos, from nature. Things are not working. You see that? So there are four degrees of alienation from God. Some of you maybe have been running from God. From self, some of you are running from yourself. You don't like yourself. You can't change it. You need to develop a good attitude about yourself. From others and from the world, for you, your whole life is toil and trouble. But there is good news. I have good news for you, friends. I have good news. He says it. He says, and by him to reconcile all things to himself. All things. So when Jesus comes to do this work of reconciliation, he's not just reconciling us back to God. He's reconciling all things. He's eliminating all four degrees of alienation. He's reconciling us back to God. He is reconciling us back to ourselves. So that we can look at ourselves and say, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. He's reconciling us with one another so that we can look at one another and bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. He's reconciling us with the world and making sure that we are now walking under the blessing and we are not toiling. Amen. Romans 8, 19-23 says, For the unexpected expectation of the creation, eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subject to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope, because the creation itself will also be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. You see what he says there? An expectation of creation is what? Revealing of the sons of God. What? He subjected it in what? In hope. Hope for what? For the revelation of the sons of God. He said that creation will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. When does creation get delivered from the bondage of corruption? We know that at the end, the final time when Christ returns, that shall be a complete work. But this work is already ongoing. It, is, it happens every time the sons of God are revealed. Every time there is a revelation of sonship, creation bows. That's why Jesus could walk on water. That's why Jesus could cause gold to come out of fish. That's why Jesus could say, lower your net on the other side. When they've been fishing in the same water the whole night and caught nothing, it's daytime fish don't come out during day. That's why they fish at night. And it's daytime, it says, lower the net. And then creation bows. Why? Revelation of sonship. In other words, you are not saved to just sort of get by and barely make it to heaven. You were saved to reign in life, Romans 5.17, to rule in life, to rule over creation, to rule over sickness, to rule over economies, to rule over everything for you to be living. Ah, my goodness, I'm feeling good about this message. 
That's what reconciliation is about. And Christ's kind of reconciliation is not the one of, okay, you, we fought, Kale, we've made up, now let's try and make it work. No, 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 no. He gets us from those negatives of being alienated from God and from self and from one another. And he puts us in a position of authority. And the only thing that is missing is the revelation of sonship. Every time there is a revelation of sonship, creation is delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. Mama, mama, mama. Yeah. The Bible says, For God so loved the world that he gave. His only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. He so loved the world. The world, the word, Greek word there, and I'll finally get to you some Greek, is cosmos, 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 created order. For God so loved the trees, the rivers, the cockroaches, the bats, the birds, the lions, the elephants, the people, the building that he gave his only begotten son. Jesus didn't come to save, save these. Whoa, wait, let me repeat that. Jesus didn't come to save, save these. Jesus came to save the world, to reconcile the world. So the children of God who have understood sonship, when you get to their home, you will see reconciliation. The way the furniture is arranged, like Solomon's house, the way the food is served, the way the house helps are treated, you will get a sense that Jesus is working in this home. The way the economy of the home works, the way the money is earned and managed and built and distributed to the needs of the community. My friend, my brother, my sister, if your salvation is only still a thing of the spirit, something that you earn by confession and you can only, you have to talk about it for people to know you're saved. There is a problem with your kind of salvation. Because salvation, a complete salvation, is the reconciliation of all things through Christ. Let me ask you, are you reconciled to God? Let me ask you, does your marriage reflect this reconciliation. Because down in Rwanda in 2004, 94, most of the people, not a lot of the people were killed in churches. Who was leading the killing? Pastors. And I used to think that it was those really just not, not, really not spirit-filled leaders who led in the killing only, until I was listening to a radio report and a Pentecostal pastor was being tried in, in Arusha, the Arusha trials, for leading the killing of Tutsis. Pentecostal, speaking in tongues, and leading his congregation to murder people because they are not of the same ethnicity. This season of lockdown and coronavirus has revealed our understanding of reconciliation in some ways. 
I am not the accuser, so I will not accuse the body of Christ, the bride of Christ. But I, I, I just want to ask you, is the reconciliation evident? When we look at your business, your personal economy, your finances, is the reconciliation evident? When we look at, you know, basically since you are here, you can remind me, there is that proverb which says that uh, 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 how a person is cruel to their animal. Mm. Yeah. That's how you treat your cows, how you treat your cat, your dog, is there a revelation of reconciliation? Because if you're treating it badly, it means you don't understand who you are. You don't understand reconciliation. How you treat your spouse with honor and gentleness and kindness and service. Friends, the reconciliation must be full. A full all-round reconciliation. Because that's the kind of work God does. Second Corinthians 5, 18-19. Now, now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Watch. He says, he has reconciled us to himself. That's a done deal. If you're in Christ, you are already reconciled. Stop nursing and, and fearing. But he says, he has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. What I wanted to say here, you see what he said in, in that verse, to reconcile all things to himself. This reconciliation, first of all, starts by reconciling all things to himself. To himself. Uh, apart from reconciliation to himself, all these other reconciliations don't work. Hence, the issue of identity. I struggled in my marriage because I didn't know who I was in Christ. I was saved. I was a minister. I was a pastor. But I didn't know who I was in Christ. I struggled with my finances because I didn't know who I was in Christ. If you don't embrace your identity as a son of God, you're going to struggle. So, he first reconciles things to himself in order for him to be able to execute all these other reconciliations. Why? Because in him all things consist. He holds everything together. The easiest way to get a couple to get close to one another is to get each one of them closer to God. It's not complicated. But I must start to finish. Starting to finish. Uh, take me to verse 21. He says, And you, and you, Colossians 1.21, and you who were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled 
in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. Ha! He says, you who are what? Once alienated. Once. Uluzungu, Abaluganda. Once. And then you. You were alienated. Now, it means you are no longer. Now, here is the point. What caused the alienation? Says, you are once alienated, okay? And enemy, watch, enemies in your mind. In other words, it's not real. It's perceived enmity. God has no beef with anyone, really. But people are running from God. Why? He says, by wicked works. So you go do something fake. You go do something fake, and then because you've done something fake, you start imagining that God has beef with you. So it's in your head. And then what do you do? You start behaving like that. Bible says that the wicked run when no one is chasing, but the righteous are bold as a lion. Why are they running when no one is chasing? How can you run when no one is chasing you? It's in your mind. You're perceiving that you're being chased, but no one is chasing you. <laughs> so he says you were alienated and enemies in your mind. This is a very important point, don't miss it. Enemies in your mind. If you think, if you feel at all in any way that God is done coming at you and is at loggerheads with you, it's in your mind. Here is the painful thing about perceptions. They soon become reality. What do I mean? If you think that someone is chasing you on top of the building and you're super convinced they are chasing you and you run and jump off the building, guess what? you're going to get very injured even if no one was actually chasing you. In other words, your perception has created a dangerous reality which now you're living in. But he says now he has reconciled. Now he has reconciled. Ay, 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 ay. This enemy... My God, I, I, need, I need time. I need time. Okay, let me, let me tell you something. God is not the one trying to kill you, trying to infect you with a sickness, trying to take your stuff away from you, trying to kill your business trying to frustrate your marriage. No, it is not God. Why? John 10.10 10 says, for the thief, the, the thief does not come except to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And I, I is Jesus here speaking, I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. Now, the problem is that we have ascribed the devil's work to God. And once the devil is done doing something and you think it is God, you cannot take authority. Because instead of confronting the devil, you'll be fearing it is God. No! All 
of you believers are supposed to be fighting this COVID thing with all your confession and, and, and speaking and, and behavior and everything until the thing is gone? What are people saying? People think God is in it. It is not God who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. It's the thief. You don't even have time to... to uh, anyway, enemies in your mind by wicked works. And yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death. See what he says. See what he says. Yeah? To present you. Who is presenting? Jesus is presenting. Say your name. Okay, say it again. Jesus presents Moses. How does he present? Uh, the state. Holy blameless, above reproach in his sight. This means that this state of holiness, blamelessness, and above reproach is his work because he's the one presenting. If you're going to make a presentation, eh, PowerPoint, and then the thing doesn't come out well, you cannot blame the PowerPoint because it is not presenting itself. You're the one presenting they say, Matan, come and present the video. You have worked on your video. You've edited it. What? Then, ah, uh, the board is seated. Then you plug into the screen and you start playing and it's the wrong video. You cannot say, me, I also don't know this video, why it is the one playing. It's not the one I prepared. No. We, the video cannot be represent, responsible for the outcome. The person behind the presentation is responsible for the outcome. So Jesus is constantly, by the way, where is he presenting you? To himself. He's constantly presenting you. Ah, say, say your name. Say your name. He's presenting you what? Holy. Uh-huh. Blameless. Above reproach in his sight. Take me to Ephesians 5, 27 to 20, 25 to 27. B3 and Angela, you need to come. Otherwise, I need to be taken out from you. Bring, give it to me. Give it to me. Ephesians, are we there? Says, husbands, <laughs> love your wives. Just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her that he might... Who does the sanctifying? Husband, that he might sanctify, cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. He tells them in John 15, you are clean because of the word I spoke to you. You are clean because of the word of Jesus. Nothing else makes you clean apart from the word of Jesus. That he might present her to himself a glow. Who presents him? To who? Himself. How, how, what kind does he present? A glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any other such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. Sisters, come. Let's get out of here. That's how he presents you. That's how he presents you. Uh, 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 and, say, and he says, and he says, and he says, 
If indeed you continue in the faith grounded and steadfast and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you've heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven of which I, Paul, became a minister. A minister. The only thing that can hinder this whole presentation is if you jump out of the faith and you go into works. This is if you continue in the faith, not in works. Works will kill you, will fail you, because the arm of flesh will fail you. You dare not trust your own. You can't do it. You've been trying. It never works. PowerPoints don't make PowerPoints. It only works if you allow him to be the one to carry you. Because, look, look, people. So he's reconciling you and everything that pertains to you, yes. to himself. And then he presents you to, to himself. himself. <laughs> Our role is just to present ourselves and say, Nzendi yes. ready to be loved, Jesus. I'm ready to be loved. Thank you for listening to this teaching. We hope that you've been blessed by the Worship Harvest Sermon Series. For more teachings and other resources, visit www.worshipharvest.org or call 0393-281-555. That is 0393-281-555.